January of 1990, a Universal Pictures film that combined its own special brand of horror and humor hit the theaters across America. In the film, the isolated, rundown old mining town of Perfection, Nevada falls prey to a previously undiscovered predator, giant man-eating worms called graboids. The graboids locate and track their prey by sensing vibrations in the ground, then burst upward to the surface to grab their victims and drag them down into their burrows to be devoured. That film was called Tremors, and while it was only moderately successful at the box office, it quickly became a cult mega-hit, spawning several sequels and a TV show. Tremors and its sequels were some of our favorite entertainment when we were kids, and still are today. Sometimes as kids, Spencer and I used to imagine that giant, deadly worms were real as we played in our backyard. But what if I told you that, in the Gobi Desert of Mongolia, they are? You're listening to Myths and Mysteries. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. Indians call him Sasquatch. There are busts of King Tut that also show an elongated skull. Taunting the police, chiding them, daring them to capture him. And finally, he invented a name for himself, Jack the Ripper. Analysis of the grand features suggests that this animal was indeed at least 40 feet long. He could have easily eaten up a man. I expect that we'll keep looking um, from now on until we find him or find out what happened. In Mongolian, its name is the Olgoi Korkoi, which literally means large intestine worm. To the rest of the world, it's known as the Mongolian death worm. While the graboids of tremors are the size of buses, the Mongolian deathworm is generally agreed to be only about two feet long, which is still pretty big for a worm. It has segments, like an earthworm, but that's where the similarities end, because the deathworm is said to be able to kill a man in mere seconds. In 1922, the Mongolian prime minister was quoted in a book as saying of the deathworm, It is shaped like a sausage about two feet long has no head nor leg, and it is so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death. It lives in the most desolate parts of the Gobi Desert. You would think that the fact that the Mongolian Prime Minister is on record as saying that the death worm exists means that there's evidence of its existence, photos or a carcass or a surviving victim or eyewitness, but there's nothing. The first mention of the Mongolian death worm was in a book written in the early 1920s, but because Mongolia was ruled by the Soviets until 1990, not much information was able to leak out. Although the descriptions are remarkably consistent, the deathworm's appearance is passed on only in the stories and cautionary tales that are handed down from generation to generation. According to those tales, the deathworm has a mouth full of sharp teeth, but its front and rear ends are indistinguishable from each other. Its skin is a reddish color, but it can allegedly change its color as needed to hide itself. The deathworm's skin is also reputed to be coated with a deadly poison that can kill a person almost instantaneously, as we mentioned a minute ago. The poison is just one of three different ways that the deathworm can ruin your day, though. 
It is also able to spit acid at you with deadly accuracy, and as if the poison and the acid spitting weren't bad enough, the Death Worm is also able to generate enough of a charge to electrocute a person to death. Most people say that the Death Worm hibernates most of the year, coming out only during the hot months of June and July. It's also reported that the Death Worm is more likely to be seen when the ground is wet after a rain, or in locations where two certain species of plant are found growing together. It is also allegedly attracted to the color yellow, to the point that locals recommend that visitors to the Gobi not wear yellow clothing. While most descriptions of the death worm mention it spitting its acid or venom, we came across one bizarre tale that says that the creature sticks its top half out of the sand and inflates itself with air until it explodes, and its poison rains down upon its victims, killing them and turning their remains yellow. This sounds incredibly far-fetched, but hey, it's pretty cool. One commonly mentioned animal that investigators believe could be responsible for the death worm legend is the bombardier beetle. The bombardier spits acid, like the death worm does, so it is possible that people have mistaken it for the death worm. Others have speculated that the deathworm could be a species of skink, or legless lizard, or even a large snake. Many expeditions have tried, and failed, to prove the existence of the Mongolian deathworm. Two zoological expeditions in 2005 found no evidence of the deathworm. The television shows Destination Truth and Beast Hunter have both filmed episodes in the Gobi Desert in attempts to film the deathworm, and both were unsuccessful. The legend of the Mongolian deathworm has existed for generations, despite the total lack of evidence. The nomads who live in and around the Gobi are firm believers in the creature's existence. There's even an entire village that was abandoned by its residents because they believed that a community of the deathworms had taken over the area. So, is it real? Is there an already known creature like a snake or beetle that the people are mistaking for a monster? Or is it a never-before-catalogued species or killer worm? I hope I never meet one to find out. So the death worm has been on our list for a long time. I'm pretty excited that we're finally actually getting to talk about it on the show. Um... And I have to say, as I was preparing for this episode, one of my favorite things about the episode was searching YouTube for the phrase Mongolian deathworm because there are a whole bunch of ridiculous results that you can find out there. Let me start by telling you I have it pulled up right now, and it is exactly what you would expect to find when you search YouTube for Mongolian deathworm. Yeah, there are um, there are a couple clips especially that I saw where it looks like some kid or young person just took a, like a quick like 15 second clip that they made of a CGI deathworm and just put it in various places like the street in front of his house or the middle of a football field and then posted it on YouTube as a supposedly <laughs> real video. And uh, they're pretty cheesy. I, they're on the level of like a sci-fi channel Sharknado type movie, I think. Yeah, but apparently one of these videos that we talked about earlier has like 21,000 views, so maybe we've been doing it wrong this whole time. 
Yeah, maybe instead of this podcast, we should just be making videos of poorly animated death worms. The, the Mongolian death worm is one of these things where there's very little information about it and very little evidence, honestly, which you mentioned in, in the scripted section. And I feel like it's just given people free reign to kind of throw it into any arena to just make their own thing. One of my favorite ones I'm looking at here is a three-second clip that looks like it was, like you said, made on somebody's phone. And the <laughs> the only caption on the video is, totally real. Totally, you guys. Yeah, well, you know, it's on YouTube, so it's got to be real. You can't post fake stuff on YouTube. That's what I was going to say. So there was another video that I watched, and I think you watched it. And it was part of, I think, the Beast Hunter episode that we mentioned in this in the show. And the guy is going through and he's looking at all of his various like motion cameras and he finds one and he looks at the still image before he plays it. And the thumbnail image looks like some kind of a weird creature. He's like, look, you can see like a horn here and here's an eye and this would be the shape of a reptile type head and stuff. And he's describing it and he's like, all right, now we're going to play it. And he plays it and immediately you see that it's just a cow checking out the camera (laughs) and he totally... And he admitted it. He's like, this is a case where you see what you want to see, but when you actually look at the evidence, it's a cow. And can I just say shame on them? That is one of those things that television just continues to do and continues to get people with time after time. We love these shows, these Destination Truth shows and these Beast Hunter shows. And that's you know they went to commercial break on that. You know that they were like... And here it is. And then they went to commercial break and then he came back and you just find out it's a video of a cow. It was actually two cows and they're just like walking by and one sticks his face <laughs> into the camera. The lens fogs up. Yeah. Oh, I go, is this food? Oh, no. Okay. And that's it. Yep. Yeah. We used to love Destination Truth. I don't know about you. I've seen every episode and I was mad when they took them off of Netflix, but they used to be like the worst at that. Like they'd play this dramatic thing that's happening and then go to commercial and you'd come back from commercial like, what was the thing that happened? And it was just like Josh Gates playing a prank on the cameraman. And you'd be like, come on, you had me going and it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, or they always have a camera angle right on the guy's face. So Josh Gates would have the camera and it would be dark and his eyes would be lit up. And you'd hear him say, oh, crap. And then the, the camera would tumble down and you'd be like, oh, man, he it's got like, eaten oh, by no, a werewolf. Stepped in a pothole. And then they'd come back. Yeah, stepped in a pothole, you know, yeah. slipped on a on a wet rock yeah. and just tumbled down the hill. So we're a little off track. Back to the death worm. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, this is fun. This is good radio. Um, what do you think about the odds of the death worm existing? Because you would think that something that we've been talking about for almost 100 years and we still have no actual physical evidence that you would be able to pretty quickly say, oh, no, no, I don't think so. We have no evidence. It's not real. But I kind of like the death worm. What about you? I I do kind of like the death worm, and I don't like the death worm for a lot of its reputation, its westernized reputation, and what we get from Tremors, but the Gobi Desert is over 500,000 square miles, and if there's anything that we've learned from things like the, uh, the gorilla and other creatures that at one point people claimed didn't exist... It's that when you find a big area of space like this, you find an Amazon jungle, you find a Gobi Desert, um, I I believe that it's possible and maybe even probable to say there's probably lots of things out there that we don't know exist. So does it exist in the way that we see or that we hear about in these stories? Maybe, probably not. 
but I kind of like it for being out there somewhere, maybe by a different name. Yeah, and you know what? I think the key phrase there is out there somewhere because I think they're looking for it in the wrong place. I think we established two weeks ago that they should be looking for it in the Bridgewater Triangle because <laughs> everything else well lives there. So why wouldn't the Death Worm be there? But um, no, I you know I go and I went into it thinking it's a it's a legend, it's an old wives' tale, it's not real, no one's ever seen it. But digging into some of the podcasts we listened to about it. And the video on the Destination Truth episode of them interviewing local, like, goat herders or, you know, nomads and stuff about it. They all are very casual about, oh, yeah, it's real. Don't go out there. It'll kill you. Don't wear those yellow clothes because it likes yellow clothes. And they're, it's not a big deal to them because they've grown up with it and they just live with the belief that, oh, yeah, it's out there for sure. I agree. I think that's one of the biggest pieces of evidence in a lot of these cases um there was a a gentleman richard freeman who is the the i guess official zoologist for the center of fortean zoology who has done a lot of different study a lot of different research to a a number of different cryptids from or uh the uh the orang pendek to um the death worm and he said that when they arrived to look at some of these things the indigenous people were like oh that's what you're here for why because it's not something that's a surprise to them. It's not something that would they think get them attention. And for them, they think it's a reality. So for me, that's a biggest part of the that's the biggest part of the evidence, which is very very little evidence. Yeah, that was some of the impression that I got too from some of the interviews that I saw with the locals. It was just like it would be like them showing up here to investigate like the worms in your yard. Because they're just used to them being there. They don't think of them as anything special other than, you know, watch out for them and don't attract them. And even with these people in their faces with cameras and taking, you know, taking their pictures, asking them questions, they actually took that opportunity where some people might take it to become famous, to get their few minutes to give the story that you want to hear. A lot of them were like, you think it shoots enough electricity to take down a whole... What do you call a group of camels? What is that? A flock? I don't... I don't know. A pack? I don't know. Well, somebody tweet at us, but, you know, that's one of the stories that you'll find when you do the research is that it, the death worm harnesses enough energy or electric electricity to kill an entire group of camels, and they're like, no way. Like, that's not even remotely real. Some of them doubt the electricity thing at all. Some of them are like, no, it's, it's like a shock. It's enough to kill a man. So they took the opportunity to put to bed some of the more fantastical rumors about the death worm which i think is more evidence yeah and the electricity thing is actually um i thought at first that that would be something that would sort of rule out the existence of the death worm for me but like you said i think that a lot of the tales we've heard the descriptions of it being you know so powerful it can electrocute a man dead instantly or wipe out a flock of camels (laughs) with a shock or whatever i think that that's a traditional westernized sort of overblowing of the actual ability of the creature. And I think that, um, you know, we listened to, I think the thinking sideways podcast talked about this at length that, um, there are like five different species of electric eels that are Mm -hmm. more than capable of producing enough electricity that it's not going to kill a person. You know, it probably hurt and it would stun a fish enough for them to eat it, but they do produce electricity with their bodies on their own. And uh, so it's not a stretch for me to believe that 
Um, there could be something similar that doesn't live in the water that could burrow around in the Gobi Desert, sleep 10 months out of the year and only come out when it's hot, and uh, electrocute some people. That I'm glad you said that. There was actually, that was something else that Richard Freeman mentioned, was that they asked the 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 nomads there in that area that were claiming to have seen it, we hear it's only out for a certain number of months, you know, two or three months. And they actually said, no, it's actually closer to like April or May to like September, October, which gives it a few more months of time to be out, which I think adds a little bit of validity. Yeah. He's out for baseball season. Yeah. I mean, that's when I would be out and, you know, just got to make sure you aim the antenna in the right direction from the Gobi to make sure that you're getting your games that you want. But I think, I think I agree with that. You know, we see in nature that the electric shock within a creature already exists. We see in things like in the scripted section, we mentioned the bombardier beetle. I don't think that what people are seeing is a bombardier beetle, but we see that there are creatures out there with the bio- the biological element to combine chemicals and shoot, you know, fire, poison. So would it be that shocking to find an animal on land that can produce electricity? Yeah, to me, that's just another reason why dragons are real, because they're shooting two chemicals together to make fire. The bombardier beetle can make acid. That's just a step away from dragons. They're hanging out in caves, so (laughs) we'll find them, you know, we'll find them at some point. What do you think about the bombardier beetle? Is Is that a feasible theory? In my mind, it's not. Because a bombardier beetle, like, it's beetle sized, it's very small. And these worms are, on account, anywhere from two to seven feet long. So, how you mistake a bombardier beetle for a multiple foot long worm, that just doesn't seem possible to me. I know that you did a little digging on bombardier beetles today. Are you of the same opinion as I am? Yeah, frankly, um, I I don't ever like to go in one extreme or another, but it's kind of ludicrous, <laughs> in my opinion. Um Plus, if they were a beetle, they wouldn't be in the desert. They'd be in the water somewhere in a yellow submarine. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm so sorry. But, yeah, I there's a you look at a worm, you look at a beetle. They look different. Size-wise, behavior-wise, you're looking in the wrong place. A lot of the bombardier beetle information that is readily available says that they're on every continent. You can find them just about anywhere that has enough water for them to lay their, their eggs. And the Gobi Desert does not strike me as a place where you find much water for this population for them to lay their eggs. So probably not in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, as far as the acid spitting, where are you on the acid spitting? Do you, do you see that as possible for the worm? Or do you think that for there to be a creature that spits acid and does electrical shocks, do you think that's a little much? In my mind, it seems a little too fantastical for it to have both, but what do I know? I think that if I had to pick one, I'd say that the spitting seems more common basically because we already have multiple different uh, snakes or creatures on land that do spit or create poison. You've got dart frogs that create it on their skin. you got people saying that the death worm you touch it you die because of what it secretes mm-hmm. you've got people saying that they spit it and there are spitting cobras a number of different creatures that do that so i would say that it seems realistic to me i do have a little difficulty figuring out where people say it spits but that they can't necessarily see that it has a head on one end or another that seems like a weirder part to me yeah and i have actually done a lot of thinking about the 
poisonous snake um, option. Uh, I've been reading the book The Lost City of the Monkey God by Douglas Preston, and he mentions an account of how they're in the jungle and this Ferdy Lance snake comes into their camp, and they're trying to capture it and kill it because those are incredibly deadly and they're days away from any sort of hospital type thing. And he said that the venom of the Ferdinand snake was so um, powerful that it dripped onto uh, a guy's, the exposed back of his hand, and his skin bubbled. Ooh. And I could see where it might not necessarily even have to be an acid, but if you have some form of a poisonous, spitting cobra-type snake burrowing in the sand of the Gobi Desert, you know, you could have it where it spits and hits you, and your skin bubbles and reacts, and you would say, it's acid, it's eating my skin, and it's actually just venom that is um, affecting you, but it's not getting into your bloodstream. And it's just so strong that it touching your skin is enough to cause a reaction. Yes, and I think that um, the gentleman that you were reading on, Richard Friedman, that he mentioned possible snakes as well? He did, one in particular being the sand boa. Um, you can Google these things, they're pretty cool. But a couple of his theories... Um... He's a really interesting guy, too. Pretty skeptical, really interested in cryptids and that community, but wants to make sure that people get it right, and he tries not to jump to any conclusions. Sanboa was one that he came up with, um, that it could be a type of, of snake or serpent. And he talked about a number of different interesting snakes that he believes are real, and he's talked to indigenous peoples who have seen them that are, are not common or are not understood to be real. Um, he also mentioned that he thinks it could be some sort of legless lizard, which we brought up in the, in the scripted section, that some sort of unknown burrowing reptile, or uh, basically the legless lizard, he said something along the lines of a worm lizard, or he called it an amphispina, which actually is interesting because that is Greek mythology. So he's not saying that it could inherently be something out of Greek mythology, but just that it's, it's an odd serpent-like creature that has heads on both ends. Um, so he really likes the serpent angle as kind of like a legless lizard slash serpent, some sort of burrowing reptile like that. He definitely thinks it's a reptile. Well, it can't be the Amphisbena because that has heads on both ends. And the witnesses in the Gobi have reported that you cannot tell which end is the head. So it would have to be some sort of weird Amphisbena where it has a butt on both ends instead of a head. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that could be possible. That causes completely different issues. So, now that we've been through most of the potential options for critters that could be mistaken for the death worm, do, is there one in particular that you would put your money on, or do you think that um, it actually is an actual death worm, something that we've never cataloged, or do you think that there's just nothing out there? Um, I lean that either it's a variant of some other creature that we have documented, some sort of genus that we haven't found yet, or that there's nothing out there. Um, and I know I said that there's a lot of different room, a lot of different space. I Again, I'm going to clarify by saying that it might not be out there, especially in the way that we think we understand it. But I think if I had to le pick a specific type here, I would go probably some sort of, of serpent or, or reptile. Not just piggybacking off of Richard Freeman. I just feel like it covers the most bases. Yeah, I believe that there's something out there. Um, I don't think that something can survive this long. Um, even we know the power of storytelling and passing these things on from generation to generation, but the fact that there's, it survived this long with zero evidence, zero physical evidence. Um, 
Like, even the Kappa that we talked about, which seems way more far-fetched than this, there's supposedly Kappa hands and monasteries you can go look at. And there's not even that for this. So for it to have survived this long with no physical evidence, I think that there have been people seeing something. But I would, I think, agree with you in that it's probably something that's not nearly as exciting as what we think. That whether it's, you know, some sort of legless lizard. Um, at first, I, I thought that that was very unlikely because of how cold it gets at night there. Um, mm. In the Destination Truth episode, their batteries were dying one after the other because it was like minus 10 degrees. But, you know, in even in the other deserts that we're more familiar with, it gets hot in the day and cold at night. But the animals that burrow underground, um, they stay at a livable temperature down there. So I think it's possible um it would be some sort of a legless lizard maybe some sort of a snake that we haven't really documented or anything but i believe something's out there i just think it's probably not as exciting as uh the story of the death worm what do you think would be the reason that if it is out there that they haven't found one well i think that this is actually a strike against what i have just said i believe about it but if it was actually a worm i mean worms don't have bones or anything right so a worm could theoretically completely decompose until there was not enough left of it for you to identify anything so i guess that's actually a point in favor of actual death worms but um i think the fact that they mostly live underground um you know you might not see them as much because they hibernate a lot and then if one of them dies it's probably going to die underground and you might never have an opportunity to come across the remains also, I guess if it is some sort of serpent or, or snake genus, all that they would find is vertebrae. So that wouldn't inherently in itself be anything exciting to find either. It's also true. A couple of cool things that I did want to mention. I always want to shout out and, and um, let our listeners know when we find something interesting on a cryptid or, or something we're talking about in literature. And I've missed a couple of opportunities in the past. You mentioned the kappa. And I've actually found out after the fact, sadly, that the Kappa and I want to say the Kangamato were actually mentioned in Harry Potter and maybe one or two other places. And I found in some of my digging that the Death Worm is actually mentioned in literature as well. And it's mentioned by a very well-known writer, J.R. Tolkien, in in one of his uh, unabridged copies or original writings of The Hobbit. Apparently, he mentions these wereworms of the East, and when asked about that, he he talked about how he got his inspiration from alleged worms in the in the Gobi, which I thought was really fascinating. That is really cool. I'm gonna have to go through the appendices of that book like a super nerd and look that up because I would really like to see that. There's so much fun stuff that you find in literature, and uh, you know, mention of dragons, and he really was a very smart guy, so it was pretty neat that they mentioned that. And also, in the way of really interesting people, a lot of the um, a lot of the information that we find on the death worm, including that book that we mentioned in the scripted section from 1922, where you have the prime minister of of uh, of the country, gosh, Mongolia, that's the one, talking about its existence and recommending that somebody try and hunt for it. That guy that we're talking about is actually Roy Chapman Andrews, who wrote that in 1922. And his life would be a full episode in itself. He's actually the guy, since we're talking about cool uh, literature and cinema, that Indiana Jones was based on. We've talked about a lot of interesting people 
in the Triangle episodes, in the Kangamato episodes of Cool Explorers. We've mentioned a few times that uh, these guys remind us of Indiana Jones. This guy actually was the inspiration for Indiana Jones. you for taking the time to listen to this episode of myths and mysteries tune in next time in two weeks we're going to change our format up a little bit we're going to do a special halloween episode for you guys because it'll be right before halloween so don't miss that thank you to everyone who's given us a uh, rating or review on itunes we uh, hope that if you haven't that you would take the time to go ahead and do that you can follow us there you can subscribe on itunes google play you can follow us as well on player fm you can go to our website mythsandmysteriespod.com to send us an email, check out the episodes, etc, etc. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Myths Podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.